1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye, and with me, Jack Manuel, making his return to the buzz, and it's with a Nets W, 117-102, over the Spurs. Jack, how are we feeling?
2: I'm back, baby!
1: Pumped to have Jack back. Nets got the dub. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, both lit it up. Backcourt was on fire. We're going to jump into that and plenty more, but make sure you check the buzz on all string platforms. And Jack,
2: where do you want to start? Let's start with James Harden it because the Dribble Bros, we'll get to Kyrie in a little bit for all the Kai the stands out there. But the Dribble Bros had me dribbling from the mouth of some of the plays that they had tonight. This was, look, I, I've been away for a little bit. I've been obviously listening to all the buzz and people tweeting at me, I need to come back because the Nets are struggling. I come back and they do this. Maybe I should come away and then come back again and see what happens because... This was one of the best performances the Nets have had all season. And James Harden's one of his best games as a Brooklyn Net. We were trying to live it off wax. For me, it's probably top three or top five, easily top five. Three-level scoring, you know, he was hitting the mid-range. I can't remember the last time James Harden hit three mid-range shots in the, in the same game while also having an incredibly ferocious dunk, hitting step back after step back. You know, he, he wanted to hit a, another three off the opponent's freaking... He was yeah. trying to score on the opponent's freaking ring. Kyrie's trying to stop him. we got another Kyrie Irving and James Harden. I was hyped as hell, Nick, watching this with my dad and my and my brother, wearing my new Nets top that I got from the NBA store over in London. Um, thankfully, my wonderful partner was able to spot this one for me. I was a, a little bit blind, but James Harden was absolutely incredible, Nick. I'm not sure where you have this among your rankings of James Harden performances as a Brooklyn men, but for me, it's, it's right up there.
1: Yeah, I think for this season, you're looking at probably – you know, the best performance or I tweeted something out after the game. It kind of felt like a game from last year. Like, not to take anything away from tonight, this was almost a routine performance we saw from James Harden last season, especially with Kyrie Irving being out. Like he put the team on his back, you know, another triple double, like you mentioned, thirty seven points, thirteen to twenty four from the field, four of eight from three, seven to seven from the free throw line, ten rebounds, eleven assists, one block, and only three turnovers. The, and like the thing that instantly sticks out like yeah, thirty point triple double, we haven't seen a ton of those this year, but very efficient. 54% from the field, 50% from three, seven of seven from the free throw line. And he didn't start this game super efficient, but he stayed aggressive attacking the paint.
2: Yeah, it was the mentality, like you sort of said, Nick. I think he started five of 12 yeah. from memory, so which means he finished the game eight of 12. And obviously, you know, it was Kyrie, it was Bruce Brandon, There was a lot of momentum in that second half. It was probably Steve Nash not throwing all the, the magnets at the wall when it came to, you know, the depth of the rotation. But I think that, like you mentioned, Nick, the the purpose from James and him just making the right decisions, you know, it was just reflective in the box score, whether it was the turnovers uh, that were, were were quite low for, for James Harden, a guy who generally leads in that department across uh, a season. But every single decision that he was making, you, you, there was a physicality, you know he was finishing over Jakob Peral time and time again. You know the San Antonio Spurs have a quality defensive line a quality defensive back When you got Jonte Murray, Derek White, you know Dembélé, you got Kelvin Johnson, you can throw it and they had no answer for James Harden and Kyrie Irving for that matter. Uh, it was as complete a game as I can remember James Harden playing. And like you mentioned, Nick, you know hitting the three pointers as well. He hit. He finished before he was yanked off the bench. He had two step backs just to be like, you know what? I'm gonna just take this one for the sake of taking it. It was it was fun. It was just really really fun, and um, I was loving it. Uh, I've lost my voice I think a little bit just from watching this game. I, I forgot <laughs> what watching a Nets game can be like and the roller coaster of emotions that I experienced. But the beard was on one tonight, Nick. He was absolutely on one, and I, I, I just loved every single element of it
1: yeah and like you said you know hitting threes in the fourth quarter like his fourth quarter scoring hasn't been amazing you know this season and it's good to see him hit some dagger threes to kind of build that confidence up he mentioned in the, the post game with grady you know like he just got his swagger back whatever that means just being aggressive attacking the rim and you know i think another thing for harden in this game is like you look at him breaking down Defenders one on one, especially when he gets the switch that he wants. And that's just something we didn't necessarily see consistently early in the season. And obviously, this is a, a great game, but it, you know, how does he follow this up? It's kind of been flashes of Harden all year, but this is definitely a positive sign moving forward. And like you mentioned, Some lineups were great. He did have, you know, three or four shooters out there, but there were a couple times he got put on the floor with some bad lineups, too. So making sure you can put him in position to excel is something that Steve Nash needs to make sure he does regularly. Obviously, it's tough with the injuries in the roster, but there were definitely some rotation issues tonight. Jack, I can't hear you.
2: My bad. I think I I I was on mute. um Just going through, you know, some of the great moments from this game that James Harden did have, Nick. It was that third quarter. I think he had around twelve or fourteen points, something like that. Um, and he was throwing dimes aplenty to Lamarcus Aldridge and Bruce Brown and whoever else it might be that was running around with him. He was, he was masterful. That dunk got me off my feet. I was. You know, I've got a pretty high ceiling in the, the new place that I've moved into, Nick, but I was almost bopping my head on that one with the old little man bun that I've got going around. Hype as hell, losing my voice. That was incredible. And then he follows it up with a an offhand right-hand layup and one play yep. that I don't know how many times in his career James Harden has finished with his right hand when going uh, off the glass or going for a layup. It was- Especially in and one. It was, in end, the end one. The The bag was, was as deep as it can get.
1: Well, like you mentioned, we saw the mid-range shots in this too. You know, three mid-range uh, shots in this game. And what that does is just kind of makes his arsenal a little bit more complete. Something else you have to worry about. You know, I think especially Harden in Houston and what we saw last season, it was like, Harden's taking a three or he's getting to the rim. Or, you know, we'd occasionally see that floater, but you'd rarely ever see a mid-range shot. And obviously, athletically, he's not the same as he once was. So I think adding that in is just another avenue for his game to continue to score and just, you know, keep the defender a little bit more off balance. So I'm looking for Harden to incorporate that in his game more this season. I think we've definitely seen it more this season than his entire career. But if we're talking even just like two attempts a game, I think that's just something to have.
2: And it's cash, Nick. It's, yeah, he, it's, it's been cash since OKC. Like yeah. to be honest, he he has great form. It is literal money. The the net barely moves when he takes that shot. Um, it is the shot that he he has in his bag. It's not something that it's just like, you know, he has to force it like a Bruce Brown taking a, a corner three or whatever. Yeah. No, he has that, and he should be taking them. And the fact that he did tonight, he was doing literally everything. You know that he had in his offensive arsenal. There was you know, shots from every single corner of the of the court, and the handle looked incredibly tight. His physicality was there, and he was getting you know in the in the first half especially, he was getting hacked and getting yeah. hit on the head, on on the arm and on the shoulders and on the knees and on the toes, heads <laughs> and shoulders, knees and toes. Um, and he was, like you mentioned, Nick, I think that's a credit to him to maintaining the focus and maintaining you know, the ability to be like, you know what, I'm not going to let the refs dictate how I'm going to play. I'm going to dictate how I play. And he started to get a few of those calls and some of those calls started to go his way. Um, and I think that overall, the leadership shown by this performance from James Harden, I think he gets a, a big pat on the back from me as well.
1: Yeah, and you know, we're talking about him staying aggressive, even not getting the calls. I think that's also why we saw numerous and ones for him in that second half. He's focusing on getting to the rim and hitting the shot. Don't worry about the contact. That'll come if they're going to make the call. Worry about knocking down the shot, and that led to some good things for James. So really, really happy with his performance. And like we said, you know, hopefully he can build on this moving forward because that combination of him and Kyrie Irving, like you said, Harden hot in the third, Kyrie hot in the fourth. Game's essentially over. And then Harden's hitting shots in the fourth, too. You know, we're looking at a very dominant fourth quarter from the Nets 38 to 28, when that's been an issue over some of the losses over the last month.
2: And funnily enough, uh, when you recap the previous Spurs game, the the Spurs came back. They were yep. 10 points down. The Nets had the same lead. They closed it out like a good team does. And to do it away from home, and Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge, they're sort of homecoming, you know, there were some really cool scenes before the game um, that warmed my heart a little bit. It was just like, Man, San Antonio fans love Patty Mills almost as much as I do. Almost. The the key word being that sentence. But we'll get to Kyrie Irving, Nick. Unless you had anything else you wanted to touch on uh, with the bid?
1: No, I think, like, we touched a lot of it. And I think a lot of things for Harden is, like, we know he can be this good. It's just, like, will this carry over to Sunday night against the Timberwolves? Like, we want this level of consistency. Like, Can we get, you know, a couple more triple doubles? Or how's he going to look also in these upcoming home games without Kyrie Irving? I think Kyrie obviously alleviates a lot of pressure because he gives him literal possessions off where Kyrie is going to create the offense on his own, like we saw tonight. And Harden could essentially sit at the three-point line or just not really have to do so much. And I think people underestimate the amount of fatigue From being the driving force of an offense the entire game. And like Harden hasn't had a great season, but that's an incredible load to have on your shoulders, especially with this roster not having a true backup point guard. You know, KD could help in areas earlier in the year, but Kyrie wasn't there. Now having Kyrie really helps, but there's still that issue in home games. Who alleviates that pressure from Harden?
2: Yeah, and that's a good point. I think that what we saw tonight was, and I think what we've seen all season and across his entire career, obviously ever since probably Houston days, you put shooters and a role man around Harden, he's going to make good offense out of it. And there were times tonight where Kyrie Irving was doing the opposite. You know, it was Blake, with Blake Griffin and with, with Bruce Bren, and we're touching on that a little bit. So that might be something like, okay, well then let's use some of these lives. Now, is it going to work, you know, night after night after night? Maybe not. But, you know, you're, if you have Kesley Edwards, you, you throw in a Joe Harris when he's back, hopefully sooner rather than later. runs Sharp, hopefully Clax is back soon. We'll touch on him later in the episode. You know, you and your Paddy Mills and, and some of these guys. As long as you don't have you know floor cloggers, because James Harden, when he has an open lane, when he has you know space to you know dribble, 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 step back or, or make a nice pass in the pick and roll, it just utilizes his skills the best. And he has a lot of them. And like you said, Nick, it hasn't been the best season for him. He's still playing in an All NBA capacity. I would say he'd be on the All NBA third, maybe second team if he maintains some momentum here. He's playing All Star level basketball. It's just that he is an MVP contender. You know, I picked him to be a possible MVP contender this year, so we have high expectations from him. And tonight is the night where you sort of saw MVP level hearted And if he can maintain that going forward, especially in the absence of Kevin Durant, watch out, guys.
1: Yeah, and Jack, you know that Lucas and I talked about in the last show is like. Three shooters plus a roller with James Harden is a good offense. Like you could argue that's almost a top five offense, depending on how good the shooters are and if any of them have, you know, at least a little offensive pop to their skill set. And Kyrie's more that guy that can turn a terrible space lineup into some buckets regardless. And I think also kind of points to something you alluded to on Twitter a little bit. He gets things going in transition a little bit more so he can utilize a guy like Bruce Brown, you know, in a fast break because they're creating odd man opportunities where they have an advantage rather than when they're on offense set up in that half court, you know, guys are kind of keying in and when they are keying in, Kyrie can hit a contested shot that he's not supposed to make.
2: He's not supposed to make <laughs> 90% of the shots that he takes, Nick. No, uh, I, I, I marvel so many times just when the ball is in his hands. And there were times tonight where he was probably taking some poor shots, but it's a it, it credit to him. You know that fourth quarter where it was just like, okay, Kyrie Irving is can just change the game at a whim. Just put the ball in his hands; he can hit a pull-up three, he can hit a, a, a step back, you know, step side like a side step, a fifteen-footer from had, the baseline. He like a side
1: step back mid-range shot. I think it was in the first half, and it was just like he quarter. Yeah, he created so much space. Like It was just like, even the defender was in good position, it didn't matter.
2: The amount of... The conditioning that he has right now is something that I'm frankly shocked about, Nick. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but... That he is running up and back, up and back, up and back. He's engaged on both ends of the floor. You know, he's he's creating a level of pace to this team that we haven't seen all season when, you know, sends Kyrie Irving because, you know, you have the ball in James, Harden's a lot, in James Harden's hands a lot. And, you know, it allows, you know, you to give the ball to Kessler Edwards, to give the ball to Bruce Brown, to give the ball to Darren Shaw, to give the ball to Nicholas Clash. The guys that get up back and forth, back and forth, at least the easy buckers, And it also allows you to just get your set defense, you know, a a little bit easier as well. So I think the benefits of having Kyrie Irving, you know, play with that level of pace and engagement and eagerness is is what is, you know, giving the team a a new dimension to their offense. And it provides a level of unpredictability that I think is something that the Nets haven't had at points this year. That's just like, okay. They're going to have a, a, some half-court offense. It's, you know, the, we know they're a decent enough half-court offensive team, but when you add in Kyrie Irving and you add in your know, guys that are running back and forth and some of the youth that this team has and is infused into to the roster and the rotation, you know, there's something different to it, Nick. And the way that Kyrie Irving played tonight, you know, 24 points, 10 of 21 from the field, three of six from three, only hit the one free throw, did have four assists and also three rebounds, including an offensive board. Also, I didn't want to touch on James Harden offensive board, got him that triple-double as well, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, on the and one play from, uh, the, from the beard as well. But uh, Kyrie Irving was was wonderful in the second half. In that fourth quarter, uh, the, it's the reason why the Nets were able to gain an ascendancy. It was a, you know, it was a bit of like a prize fighting. It was just, you know, they were throwing jabs here and there, and you know no one was really landing a haymaker. Kyrie Irving comes in, and funnily enough, you know a guy we've seen before throwing some boxing gloves, and we've seen some of the yep. clips of that on YouTube or whatever, Byron was throwing some haymakers in that fourth.
1: Yeah, I think he had, what, 14 in that fourth quarter? He was good early in the first, and then in the fourth, he just finished it. And I felt like in that fourth quarter, we saw him attack the rim. He really got into the pain and was beating his defender, where a couple times in the second and third, he was kind of settling for some jumpers. So you love what Kyrie brings. And like you said, pushing the pace. And one thing he does and that this team lacks other than him and James Harden is ball handling. Like, they're both guys that can dribble the ball up the court and push the pace. When you look at the rest of the roster, there's some guys that can dribble the basketball, handle it a touch, but they're not confident to drive past two guys and take it to the rim. That's something Kyrie and Harden can do. And, you know, another thing that creates so many transition opportunities with Kyrie Irving is He'll have a defender in the backcourt that's in good position. They'll go for the steal, and he'll straight dust them. Or he might do it to two guys. It just makes me think of that Team USA video from, you know, what was it, five to ten years ago where he just gets past everybody. But that's really what he does in an NBA game where – he, he's essentially like a receiver burning a corner and now it's creating an advantage at the other end and he's getting that momentum. And it's like you said, it's another added element of offense to this team. That's offense isn't at peak levels like it was last season because obviously Kevin Durant's out and they're missing Joe Harris and they're missing some other piece on this roster, but it's just something else they have and it helps boost them to another level offensively.
2: There are a few players that can create an advantage out of nothing. Kyrie yep. Irving does that as good as any player, maybe a top five player ever at doing that because of the skills that he possesses, the otherworldly wizardry that he has when the ball is in his hand. He's, he, his handle is the best we've ever seen, top two, top three, wherever you want to put it. it. And he's just able to go, oh, well, you're a defender, but I'm Kyrie Irving, so I'm still going to hit the shot. I'm going to get past you. Or I'm going to make a nice little pass to the Marcus Aldridge or Blake Griffin or Bruce Brown. I thought that you know some of his passing you know tonight i thought is something that's probably going to go under the the radar a little bit and this is by a notorious uh notorious t t i t i don't know how to say it but he's a great follower on net twitter kyrie is the only player in the league right now averaging more than 20 points per game but having less than two free throw attempts which is weird because I, I, we've sort of said when we were thinking coyote might return you know the the way that the refs are sort of calling games right now how kyrie Irving will fit in seamlessly He has. I think he deserves an abundance of credit for what he's been doing behind the scenes and keeping himself in check, as well as the people that have been supporting him throughout that process. We heard little bits and pieces about WNBA players and high schools and all these sort of things, Um, and his family, obviously. Um, There's a a joyous nature. I always say that about Kyrie Irving. Um, There is just something dazzling when you just see him out there with the ball in in his hands. an excitement, you know, you just know, it's just like, what is going to happen? You know, there are a few players where it's just like, I have no idea what's going to happen in a good way. It's not like he's, you know, pokoshevsky for OKC or old school Runde Hollis Jefferson, your boy the hyphen, back in the day in the open court. Kyrie Irving can do anything when the ball is, is in his hands. Uh, and he's doing it pretty goddamn well, given what, you know, the, where he is at in terms of his, you know, coming back from, you know, a layoff.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Jack, just looking at his game log from since he's come back, and you mentioned the conditioning, it's been elite. You know, he scored over 20 in every game except the Chicago Bulls win, where the Nets win won 138-112, and they just didn't need him to really pick up. So his ability to just kind of step on the floor midseason and be in all-star form is really incredible. And like you said, it's a joy to watch. Like, it, he just has spectacular plays on a regular basis. And as a fan, it just brings some more excitement, too. I don't want to say a stagnant season for the Nets, but it definitely hasn't been as highlight-worthy as what
2: we saw last year. No, and, and that's where I, I think that when we recap every game, the way that you've been doing it as well, there's something where you're just looking for a little bit extra where you're yep. sort of getting out of your seat, you're leaning into the microphone a little bit more, you're making sure you're having you know, your, your lemon and ginger tea to make sure the voice is all good because <laughs> you're just so hyped you got – so much to say but you don't know how to say it and you know i'm, I'm probably a little bit rusty on the mic right now you're in your I'm, i am feel like kyrie irving a little bit nick i'm coming <laughs> off of a little bit of a laugh but you know what kyrie irving does when he comes back is something that i can only dream of doing on the microphone when i'm with you so you're bringing out the best of me you're james harden mate you're just producing night after night after night but you you're like a combination of james harden and kevin durant you know put all together you're just mvp nd uh MDF, um, you just absolutely <laughs> dominate. I don't know, yeah, yeah, act,
1: you- but I definitely need you back on here to help me out. And obviously I think you're stepping right in the Kyrie form. I will say maybe you could have used uh, a little ginger tea. Your throat does sound like it hurts a little bit, but you know, you're hyped hype to watch the Nets win. You haven't got to do that in a while
2: no it's and i think my voice is not used to it my throat is not used to this I've, you know i've been watching a little bit too much you know soccer as you guys would sort of say the the past three weeks or so but it was watching Nets basketball nick and watching kyrie irving and james harden do their thing the dribble bros the hugs were there always love seeing a Kyrie Irving and a james Harden hug it was just and, and just the the love and infectious nature that we sort of see out of these guys.
3: And the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah, I mean, they combined for 60 points tonight. You know, 37 from Harden, 24 from Kyrie. It was really some good stuff, and that's just like when you look at a backcourt like this, if both guys are on and having good games it's going to be a tough team to beat. You know, it's the same thing when Kevin Durant was healthy and James Harden and him were both on. You probably weren't going to lose that game. But moving over to your boy, Patty Miller I
2: want to ask, oh, I ask quickly to to you, Nick. Uh, James Harden, 68, uh, true shooting percentage tonight. Kyrie Irving, to 56, true shooting percentage tonight. In terms of the, the... Both of these guys have played 22 games together as teammates. Do you want to take a guess on what their record is when they play basketball together on the court? 22
1: games together... Let's go with
2: 19 and three. Oh, you are so close, my <laughs> guy. 18 and four.
1: Okay. I, I felt good about it. I was like, 19 and three, that seems like a little bit too good. But it just feels like I was thinking in my head, like last year, like a lot of times they lost was when the other one wasn't playing. When they were both on the court, there was really a lot of success.
2: It was success, uh, plenty. You know, the numbers were otherworldly in terms of the offense and we got that tonight i'll be i'll i'd be intrigued to see what you know the individual game offensive ratings and stuff were for you know the second half and there was uh, the dribble bros harden and kai you know i want some different nicknames because Seven Eleven 11 works so well together because i love me a good slurpee 11 you know is almost like
1: insulting in a way because like people are saying they over dribble you know what i mean
2: yeah no I feel like I feel it. Like we'll, we'll think of something. I'm normally pretty good at you know it's, it's finding weird and, and funny nicknames some of them sick some of them don't's express you know, is a good it, one. Cass Express has been taken over it's uh, it's been express worthy you know, no doubt about that but it was this was just one of we always because we get the chance to recap all of these games sometimes they blur together. But this feels like one that might stick out just a little bit, Nick. And, you know, shout out to to Kai and James for producing some highlights that I think uh, won't be long to forget. Yeah, they both stepped up in this game. And I feel like the Nets were
1: somewhat inconsistent. It felt like, oh, stretches of good basketball were up by 10. Next thing you know, the Spurs got it within two or they're up one or whatever it might be. And then later in this third and fourth quarter, the Nets turned it up. The Stars turned it up. And you saw them really take over this game. So, like you said, credit to them. But I think, you know, it's been long overdue. You get to talk about Patty Mills a little bit here. Nine points, 32 minutes, 4 of 11 from the field, 1 of 5, uh, four rebounds, three assists, zero turnovers. Obviously, his first return to San Antonio, you could definitely feel the emotion watching him play.
2: Definitely. And I think there was a love of plenty from the San Antonio faithful, the, the San Antonio Coyote. It was every single person. Yeah had a coffee ready for him. Yeah, and I mean, look, Greg, and he's the the one of the coffee dudes in in, in for, for the uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. But you know, Patty was since he was really good in the second half, and it was seemed to me that you know, not to be too explicit when speaking about Patty Mills, but I've done that enough anyway. His arousal levels were a little bit over the top. He was, yep. it seemed to me that like you know, the shots were long. It, it's just like he wanted to calm down a little bit and sort of calm the nerves and just you know, the the energy was there. But sometimes you need to level of that there's just the sort of level of uh, the middle ground that you want to go okay like i'm good now i'm chill but i'm also ready to go and i'm and, and really really hyped and that's where the marcus Aldridge was for you know the majority of the, the proceedings the paddy mills in the second half i think you know he was 0 of 6 i think to start the game you know the only shot that he did he didn't count which was a, a little bit annoying and then he obviously finishes you know 4 of 11 from the field so what is that he goes four or five in the second half and hit some big shots as well you know some of the... I think he had two drives. Yeah. And I think both of them were sort of like hazy drives. And it was just like, there's a level of control with that where it's just like, that's that's pretty high-level skill. And then, you know, Dayron Sharp, I think, had a really nice down screen for him, leading him to an open three. And the Nets were just able to get momentum for, from, from Paddy Mills as they've done for a lot of points this year. So I think that the way that he was able to still impact the game in the second half be a part of you know some of those lineups where you know it was uh, you can't leave patty mills open if you got you know james hard and kyrie irving out there you know when the Nets starters are out there to start the game you know while patty mills wasn't necessarily contributing the nets were still playing yep. pretty high level basketball and they started you know six or nine from the field uh, but you know patty mills you know gives the the nets an ascendancy in the in the second half in the third quarter where he, you know, he was dancing uh, he had, i think it was three of three in that third quarter alone um, and then that's a like we were sort of talking about with James Harden and with Kyrie Irving, you know, being able to just go game by, not game by game necessarily, quarter by quarter, play by play, and still be able to go, I'm going to hit this shot, I'm going to make this lap, I'm going to, you know, follow. I can't remember who it was, whether it was Lonnie Walker or Dejounte Murray. There we go, Dougie McBuckets. You know, the only white guy, one of the the few white guards for uh, San Antonio Spurs. He just followed him and followed him and followed him. It's just like. <laughs> the tortoise and the hair, except it's like there's two hairs, both running around like g- goddamn crazy. So it wasn't the best that, Patty Mills performance. And I think it was, we heard James Harden sort of say after the game that, you know, they wanted to get this win for him in LA. in a, a big sort of, you know, come, homecoming. You know, San Antonio and Greg Popovich were, were such a big part of, you know, Paddy Mills' development, not only as a, as a player, but as a person. And yep. the identity that he's formed, you know, as, as one that is a philanthropist and as one that is a humanitarian. You know, Greg Popovich had nothing but you know amazing things to say about him, as well as the Marcus Aldridge. I thought that it was cool to hear him sort of say that you know LA was doing a lot of the things that Patty was doing, but he was doing the behind the scenes. He didn't want to make it necessarily you known, you know, and and that speaks to the character of the Spurs organization and why the Nets you know have, have so many similarities to this yep. team and want to be you know a sustainable organization like they are. You know, you got your Sean Marks, you got the same sort of mold and philosophy and principles. And you get a guy like Paddy Mills, and Paddy's talking about how the fact it was one of the hardest decisions they had to make to, to leave San Antonio to go to Brooklyn. And I think that there are certain alliances and certain principles that are similar that probably drew Paddy to, to Brooklyn in the first place. You know, there's a culture, obviously, that is is certainly alluring not only to, to Paddy, but to other players as well. So. Well, it wasn't the best game for Patty Mills tonight. You know, I think he'll he'll sleep well after getting another W for the team, and the Nets are now number one uh, in this back back to number one in the in the East standings after the Bucks. I think they took care of business against the Chicago Bulls, so that worked out well for us. And Patty Mills did a couple of nice things tonight.
1: Yeah, and like you said, you not only is it like similar, you know, standards and culture, but there's literally familiar faces. You know, for Patty Mills to come over to Brooklyn, like Thiago Splitter, obviously Sean Marks, like guys that he does know, but I felt like Patty just had that nervous energy in the beginning of the game that, you know, you get in a big game. Sometimes like reminds me of the first quarter of game seven of the finals, like guys miss a lot of shots, stuff like that. But like you said, kind of found himself in that second half. And that one play where he was trailing, like he was just a consistent pest. Like he was just in the chest without fouling. That's just the type of stuff you want to see. And he, he definitely had a little bit extra energy in this game. And, like you said, happy that he got the win, happy Lamarcus got the win, just kind of doing things the right way. And, you know, honestly, next time he goes to San Antonio, I think
2: he'll pop off. Definitely. So look, it wasn't his best game, but Lamarcus Ordius was a lot better, than Nick. You know, he was awesome tonight. Twenty two minutes for him, eight of fourteen from the field, seven boards, including two offensive boards. Also had a couple of dimes, sixteen points. He's this is the reason why he's in a sixth man of the year contender because of the way that he's producing I think I saw before the game in the, in the pregame that he's 58.5% from the mid-range. I remember putting out a stat when there was pick-and-roll numbers in terms of the roll, man. He's scoring 1.25 points per possession on the roll, which would mean if you extrapolate that to 100 possessions, that the Nets have an 125 offensive rating when you put the Marcus yeah. origin in the pick-and-roll and it's a pick and pop scenario obviously it's not just rolling like a day sharp or clacks and finishing with the dunk it just shows you that he is absolutely goddamn cash
1: yeah i mean that that's the perfect role for the is he's giving you that scoring punch off the bench and like not a huge minute allocation tonight we only saw him for about 22 and change and i think defensively you still see some of his issues and i think next to kevin durant he looks a little bit better because KD can cover up for him with some of his length and some of that weak side of rim protection but like you said in that pick and roll situation where he's just kind of popping to the elbow or popping just about right under the three-point line at the top of the key you're you're pretty happy with that shot and i thought tonight we even saw him take a couple more attempts inside and that's kind of just like mixing it up okay you know, I think Purtle overplayed him once on a mid-range shot, beat him off the dribble to the rim and had a layup. Not something we typically see a ton of, but just kind of reading the situation. And obviously, defense, like I said, pick and roll defense isn't his strong suit. He does a good job of being big. It's just at times he's not much of a threat at the rim if he's not in good position. And sometimes it's just hard for him to get in that position considering his age and athleticism.
2: Yeah, i mean we've got blake griffin and daron sharp as our three healthy centers you know yeah. all three of those guys aren't necessarily world beaters they're not rudy gobert by any stretch of the imagination so you sort of make do and makeshift with what you sort of can you, you know, wish blake you griffin could combine
1: and- all of their pick and roll defense to an extent they wouldn't be super quick but i think lamarcus has pretty good fundamentals under the rim and being big without fouling Daron sharp obviously fouls too much over commits a little bit and blake obviously does a great job taking charges and positioning himself if you can combine that all into one hopefully dayron sharp's body you'd have at least an okay pick and roll defender
2: yeah you throw nicholas claxton there as yeah, well then you're, and talking really <laughs> then you're talking really good then you talk and in insane levels of uh whatever that center would be but you know you had a dunk as well to tonight yeah. nick uh, i think that <laughs> A the poster for
1: Aldridge and a poster for Harden. That's got to be, like, a crazy rare thing to happen in an NBA game in 2022. Maybe 2016, you know, that's not that surprising.
2: No, not at all. Like, Lamarck is Aldridge's Dunky. He sort of prefers to, like, find the body and throw up one of his dinkers when he gets into the post, and he just likes sort of finding the body, like you sort of mentioned there. But, yeah, you know, I, I think that he is just kind of, uh, uh, if he can produce the way that he does – tonight and the Nets find a way to utilize him like he was i think steve nash some of his rotations i was befuddled by but the way that he used la i think was basically ideal uh, like you sort of alluded to nick you know he is absolute money and I mean, he's developed a obviously a really positive chemistry with with james harden you know, James Harden's not probably used to the style of play that LaMarcus Aldridge yep. is. You know, he's probably used to the more athletic guys like Clint Capellas, yeah, Darren Sharp, Nicholas Clacks, those sort of guys, those, you know, hard rollers, those athletic bigs. But the way that James Harden understands the areas of, that LA likes to ball in and, and vice versa, um, that's a, a credit to him. And Kyrie Irving also doing the same sort yep. of thing. Um, I, I think that he's feeding off both of those guys in a really positive way and there's just a level of offense that he's bringing to the team right now that is certainly beneficial um, and i think that it's above the level that he gives back on the other end for the most part um it, there's obviously going to be nights where it's, you know he'll probably have you know 15 points and, and eight rebounds but he's you know minus 10 on the, on the plus minus because he's given back you know so much else to a, a Jokic or a Joel Beat or whatever else it might be, but he also did play quite well against the, the Sixers and Joel Beat earlier in the earlier in the year. So when we come up, I'm gonna get come up against some of those you know quality bigs. You know, what is the Marcus Aldridge going to be? We'll have to wait and see. But what he did tonight, absolute quality.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, Jack. I think in certain matchups, tonight was a good matchup for him because it was harder for him to kind of get exposed defensively. You know, in a matchup maybe Sunday against the Timberwolves where Carl anthony Towns is spending a lot of time at the three-point line or just, you know, moving on the floor, now you're putting him in space and that's where you can kind of see a little bit of a problem. But, you know, it's just kind of about finding the right matchups for him and trying to get him out there and utilizing him the best. And one thing he does that the other, that the other bigs can't do is shoot the ball so he's able to create space and make it okay to play, you know, a DeAndre Bembry or a Bruce Brown in a lineup because you can still have four shooters and one non-shooter. It's when you're, you know, trying to put them in a line. I think we saw a lineup today that was like Kyrie, Lamarcus Aldridge, James Johnson. Uh, like Bruce Brown, like just non-shooting out there, and it's just putting a lot of pressure on those guys. So I think that's another a discussion for another point of the podcast. But Lamarcus, another solid game. Happy to see him get the win, and like you said, super consistent in terms of knocking down that mid-range shot.
2: No doubt. the The other big, the other two bigs tonight, Nick Blake Griffin. Uh, and day sharp you know 11 minutes of blake griffin four of eight from the field two of two from the free throw line had five boards two assists, 10 points took his 20th charge of the season second only to kyle lowry day sharp 14 minutes for him got the starters not again uh three of six from the field 10 boards i think he had like six or seven of them in the first like yeah. six minutes or something he was just an absolute monster there like it was you know, prime reggie evans um and he the both of them did good things and you know i was a little bit hesitant about seeing blake griffin out there but you know he was taking some charges and he looked good in terms of you know providing level of physicality in terms of his his defense like we've seen in in, in certain areas and the way that he was working off kyrie irving some of their sort of pick and roll sort of combinations i like that little bit of a, a synergy that they had and day sharp had a, a monstrous dunk uh, as as he has, you know, seems to me like at least once a game. You know, his ability to slip screens and time screens and roll and contort his body to roll hard or roll soft or you know make the screen a little bit longer and a little bit. There's just all those little intricacies of screening that I don't think gets enough credit for a guy who is played what he's 20th game or, or something like that as a Brooklyn net. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. He does get when he, it's down low. He can be a little bit bullied. I think Dejounte Murray, you know, blocked the hell out of him. I think some of his awareness at times, you know, needs improvement. That's going to come from from game reps uh, for sure. But you know, both of those guys gave the the Nets, you know, things that we know that they can do at a high level. And if, you know, Steve Nash can find a way to, you know, utilize that while Nicholas Claxton is out, we might see him back again against the Minnesota Timberwolves is what we heard from Steve Nash. I know you were a little bit concerned about it uh, heading into today's game, so hopefully, fingers and toes crossed, we do set that uh, our boy Clack City sooner rather than later. But if we get this level of center play from the three guys, it's just like, okay, this is basically ideal um, from your three bigs when you do have them out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, they each kind of did their own thing, like you said, Jack. I think it's, I would call it more serviceable. You know what I mean? Because, like, you're trying to find each guy into this perfect role. I think one thing right off RIP that makes it work out better is Nash didn't play any of these guys in the same lineup. We didn't see a Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge minutes. We didn't see Blake Griffin, Dayron Sharp minutes. You know, they all got to play center on their own. And touching on Blake real quick, it was, like, a very hot and cold game for Blake for me in a way. It's because you saw... The success he could potentially have as a roller in finishing some shots, got the tip and got the charge play. But then there's other plays where he has the ball at the rim. There was one play where he had a dunk and he got rejected by the rim. That just pains my heart to see because of how good of a dunker Blake Griffin once was. So I feel like, Blake, you're still seeing the high end of the spectrum, the low end of the spectrum, and that always makes it a little bit tough. But in such a small dose, I think it works out a lot better. You know, 11 minutes rather than 25 or 30. I think that's something we can live with.
2: Yeah, and I think the play after that, he had a relatively open layup and he kicked it out for a James yeah. Johnson three, I think yeah. it was. And I'm just like, that's clearly just him just not having the confidence to finish. You know, that's just a, a mental play where it's just like, like, we know you can finish that. And he had some, you know, little dinky sort of plays down low and a little bit of craft and, you know, was working well with Kai, as I, I alluded to as well. Yeah. So look, not a perfect game. But if this is the, the Blake that you get, you know, you get spurts out of him. You know, you keep him on the roster for these sort of spurts. You know, the three-point shot is not there. If I ever see a... If I see Blake Griffin make a three-pointer this season, I will genuinely be surprised. He'll be... Off the top of my head, he'd be shooting like 6% from three. You know, I probably could shoot it better than him from three. But I can't take a million charges like he can. I can't... I don't have the craft and, and savviness and physicality that he does as a big man. So, look... Both of those guys gave us a little bit of something in terms of, you know, their own lane, as you alluded to, Nick. So it's going to be interesting to see how the the big man rotation is figured out, you know, heading up against Minnesota Timberwolves, who have one of the most talented offensive big men in the league in Carl Anthony Towns. How does Daron Sharp guard him? How is Blake Griffin utilized? You know, is Nicholas Claxton going to be back for that matchup? Um, it's going to be interesting and fascinating to see. But, you know, the bigs did... The, the big bigs, as in our fives, played pretty well today.
1: Yeah, I like the way De'Ron played in this game. I was actually surprised he only played 14 minutes. I thought, you know, we'd see him at least for 20-something. He didn't do anything great out there. Obviously, he still made mistakes, but you love the energy. And like you said, getting rejected by Murray got rejected by uh, Jakob Purtle on that dunk attempt, too. This is something I feel like I'm going to say every single podcast, but it, he needs to develop a pump fake. And because he's a great free-throw shooter, too. Like, he has great free-throw for him. Going to the line is not an issue for him. A quick pump fake in these situations, and his touch isn't bad either. You know what I mean? Like, set yourself up for success. Like you said, that's kind of more of an experience thing that hopefully he'll, you know, learn as he plays more and more.
2: Yeah, I think it's hard to develop skills within the season when games are so crammed together. And with the Nets missing so many games, now they're going to have a bunch of games, you know, pushed Limited together practice. as well, so limited practice, all those sort of things behind the scenes where, you know, you get a bit of coaching from Amari mine and Tiago yep. Splitter. You know, you learn a little bit more from the Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin behind the scenes, too. But, you know, he's a... I, I know Nikias Duncan of Duncan Spot is a big fan of Darren Sharp, too. We're going to maybe try and get him on the show uh, to just talk about King Sharp. But, you know, he's doing some great things, and and, and we're big fans of the 29 pick, and, and King Sharp can continue doing great things. And it's not that stuck out to me, Nick? I highly... You know, you've got my dock open. You yep. sort of know what my process is when I go through the game. I like to highlight, you know, important plays. There was one play in the first quarter. I think it was like fourteen to five, and Daron Sharp played elite level defense. I'm gonna try and find and put it out tomorrow on the timeline. And that to me is what I was looking for because I'm I'm looking at Daron Sharp as a defender because when you are a center, the de- defensive responsibilities are ratcheted up to a level where it's just like you can beat Trey Young, James Harden, you know, some uh, ja-, ja Morant. You can be an awful or bad or below average defender on the perimeter but as a big man unless you are otherworldly as an offensive player like nicole jokic Anthony towns those guys it's pretty tricky to be able to yep. maintain a level of ascendancy is he gonna be you know an the Cantor cantus or enus freedom whatever the heck his <laughs> name is sort of type of player or can he be more than that and solid and serviceable and a genuine starting center that provides two-way level of play he's also a great athlete as well you know he's the way that he's his body already you know and I think that some people have said this as well you know it's like his conditioning is continuing to improve throughout the year Um, he looks great yeah
1: I think honestly that's a step for him you know if he's able to continue to push his body because in my eyes, he looks like a different athlete from summer league to now. He's moving better than he was. You know what I mean? And you know the important thing too is you want him to keep the size in the same time like the strength, while increasing the athleticism because like you alluded to before, his ability to set screens really creates space for this team because he's just a hard human to move. Like even for some of the biggest toughest guys in the NBA, like we saw him match up with Yosef Nurkic. He said that was tough, but your, Nurkic had to work too.
2: Yeah, and, and that's saying something. For a guy that is in his first season, he's only going to get stronger. He's only going to get better. He's only going to improve as a player. So the this version, this rookie version of Darren Sharp, he's got some tools. He's got some talent, no doubt. Nick, there, no doubt about that. But we've got to get to Bruce Brown, Nick, because the, 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 he had a tremendous 20 minutes of play. You know, an awesome dunk. You know, some wonderful defense on Derek White. You know, one of the better six-point games that I've ever seen from a player. He had six points, you know, he hit both of his field goals, both of his free throws, had five boards, had a dime, and those two blocks from Derek White, you know, that was, that lifted the team. And, you know, I think it was at the end of the third where he got out in transition and finished the dunk as well. Um, and it's just, you, you go off that high heading into the fourth quarter. That's when Kyrie Irving does his thing. So, although Bruce was in the 20 minutes that he played tonight, you know, I think a lot of people will probably ask him for a little bit more DeAndre Bembry action. I understand that because of the way that he's played this season. But DeAndre Bembry obviously coming back from injury, you know, it's obviously, you, you find your footing a little bit, it's, it can be a little bit trickier. So I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of the, the Bruce and, and Blake lineups, but they worked well enough tonight. So I don't necessarily think that that's totally sustainable. But in saying that, I could be proven wrong if Bruce continues to play the way that he does. You know, and it's it's weird because before some of those defensive players, he was giving away, you know, he gave away a really ticky-tacky foul that isn't really, you know, it's sort of like old-school dumb Bruce when he makes, you know, dumb decisions and is over-exuberant and over-physical, but when he was, you know, fighting through the screens and making life tough for a really good offensive player in Derek White, you know, he's not an all-star or world-beater, but I thought that those defensive plays were marvellous. Yeah, I mean, that's... They were
1: some of the best Bruce Brown minutes we've seen in a while. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't been good over the last couple of weeks. He really hasn't been great since the hamstring injury he suffered early in the season. So to see him have some success on the floor is really positive. And I think he looked his best when he played in lineups with I think there's a lineup of Kyrie, James Harden, Bruce Brown, Kessler Edwards and LaMarcus Aldridge. And that's where you have him as that one non-shooter. He's able to roam and you have some other good defenders on the floor and him just kind of getting his confidence back is going to be huge. Obviously, he just had this opportunity with DeAndre Bembry being out. And like you mentioned, Bembry came back tonight. Didn't really play many minutes and in, in the lineup that he did play. I couldn't envision him having success because it was like him, James Johnson, and Blake, Blake Griffin or something. And it's just like, all right, Steve, what are we doing here? But you know, back to Bruce, you know, maybe this is something he can build on moving forward. At the end of the day, you know, this is something and you know, I talked about earlier in the season as i talked about with lucas before even justin is like at some point it's going to come down to bruce or Bembry. you're not going to play both guys when you're healthy so it's those two guys are fighting for a rotation spot and honestly maybe even fighting for a spot on the team because we've heard some of the trade trade rumblings around bruce brown
2: yeah the trade rumblings obviously paul mills out leaving the team so it'll be something to keep an eye on and if bruce continues playing like this then it's gonna be hard to let him go um, In terms of the other guys that got some minutes tonight, Nick, you know, Cam Thomas had 10. Kessler-Edwards, you know, continued to start, had 32 minutes. Um, what, were, what takeaways did you have from their games?
1: Yeah, Kess was plus 20, High, highest plus minus on the team. Kessler-Edwards continues to just be this perfect complementary piece on the roster. Obviously, there's improvements he can make offensively. You know, finishing inside is definitely going to probably be an issue all season long, but You know, we saw a nice little pull-up jumper from him. We saw him knock down a three. Defensively, versatile, willing to fight over screens. Creates, you know, some problems in the passing lanes. Had three steals in this one as well. So I love Kess. I'm happy. This is a fine performance for him. Five points. I don't even care. It's two or seven, one of three. He's doing all the things you want him to do. And the biggest factor is he's providing that little bit of extra space on the floor. And for the one three he did hit, it was James Harden hitting him in the corner. And it feels like we haven't even really seen many corner threes. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but at some point in the season, I remember the Nets attempted the least amount of corner threes in the NBA. If it wasn't last, it was like bottom 10. So having a player like that on the floor just adds a level of simplicity to the offense to an extent and just like we know what we're doing there's a guy to pass the ball to in the corner you know what i mean just another three-point threat another outlet rather than a play we saw in the second quarter or first quarter of this game where they move the ball around the perimeter it ends up in the corner it's DeAndre Bembry, and he doesn't take the shot he dribbles into a turnover
2: yeah and and that's look i don't you, you put you put it all perfectly about you know Kess express you know he's a, a wonderful role player and his three-point shooting as a rookie, he's one of the best in the class. If you look at it statistically speaking, so um, that's a, a full credit to him for a guy that we had, you know, our reservations about in terms of some of his mechanics. But you know, now I feel confident when the ball is in his hands. You know, I thought he was better than what the the box score showed for him yep. tonight, uh, and and I'm confident when he's you know shooting the the, the three ball from whatever area of the perimeter whether it's a corner at the top of the arc or, or wherever else. You know, he's got great form. He's, got, he's quick. I didn't know he had a mid-range bag, though, Nick. That was, that was nice, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't necessarily see that one going in. I'm just like, okay, Kess, do your thing, mate. Um, there's obviously in the – this is probably leads us nicely to talk, to speak about Paul Melsap, Nick, because Millsap's departure, a lot of people are sort of speaking about the fact that Kess Edwards – could get his two-way contract converted to, you know, a full-time contract, which would allow him to play in the postseason for the Nets, which I think would be a pretty high priority for the way that he's played as a starter and alongside, you know, some of the superstars as well. And what he does is, as a defensive presence, like you alluded to, he's a really good rebounder as well. He's a great athlete. You know, he dropped that pass from James Harden, which was absolutely perfect. Uh, it was one of those touchdown passes that we love to see from James Harden. He's just like. My bad guy. Uh, that was. Yeah, I that's think not made, but... uh,
1: I, I want to say Lonnie Walker might have just got the slightest fingertip on it, and like anybody who's ever been in that situation, it just throws you off a little bit. You still want him to catch that and finish it, but he's a rookie. We'll give him a break.
2: And so I guess in, in saying that and changing tack to so I guess Millsap, you know, and, and talking about Kessler Edwards, that goes alongside that. One surprised about were you surprised about the Millsap departure, and two. Is this fait complete that Kessler gets his two-way converted? Or do we see something else like a name that we'll speak about, like a Gary Harris or someone else in a buyout or someone else in a trade that the Nets could add to their roster? What are your thoughts on the, the whole situation there?
1: Yeah, the Paul Millsap thing isn't super surprising. You know, obviously going into the season, we were already kind of looking at the minute allocation. We did our bigs preview like, you know, somebody's not going to play. Somebody's not going to be happy. And for a while, maybe it was going to be Blake Griffin and maybe Paul Millsap was going to take that spot, but Millsap never really found the rhythm with the team and Blake. There's just the hope that maybe he can be similar to what he was last year. And you kind of know what he provides in the locker room. Obviously I'm not, I don't know Paul Millsap personally, but I, I don't think he has the same relationships that Blake has with some of the players in this team, even be it, you know, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris. And, There was just something a little fishy with the Millsap situation. Obviously, we never know the true details, but he was out a lot with personal reasons, in and out of the rotation. And it just, he didn't look happy a couple times when they, you know, switched over to him on the bench with the camera view. And then I remember there was an interview, you know, maybe 20 games in, him talking about how he wishes that he was getting more minutes. So, You know, it's good for both parties because Millsap really couldn't find a fit or role with the Nets. And I think also some of that is a declining skill set. And I'm not trying to just like talk trash about a player that's leaving the Nets, but I think there was some anticipation that maybe he could come in and switch a little bit more. He can't really do that. He can't play drop coverage because he doesn't really provide you, you know, much you know, much rim protection in any way. He doesn't take charge at the same rate as Blake Griffin. So, and offensively, he wasn't shooting threes. He wasn't really hitting shots. You know, his rebounding was good. But overall, I'm not sure Millsap hit the Nets' expectations, and I don't think the Nets hit his expectations for getting the opportunity to get a real role.
2: Yeah, and look, I think the way the Nets have communicated about this, I don't think it's going to be like a Kenneth Fareed situation where he's sort of calling out, it's a good you look know, for the, the Nets. Like, yeah and i think that you know and it'll probably end up being something like you know where the nets was they've been so player friendly along the way you know and i think that that benefits them in getting free agents and, and such and you know paul out finished his 10 years of Brooklyn net 3.4 points 3.7 rebounds had one assist and these are averages sorry uh, 30 point 37.6 percent from the field 22.2 percent from three an effective field goal percentage of 41.2 it's this isn't the the Paul Millsap that we've seen in previous seasons and look I think he'll probably contribute better you know to a Chicago Bulls maybe he goes back to Denver or maybe he goes to Milwaukee I don't want it I'm, in my heart of hearts there's a part of me that's thinking he's going to go to a, a you know a, a Miami or whatever and be utilized in a sense where he's going to destroy us in a in a playoff series you know and, and get some revenge games out of him so I hope maybe he goes west so we don't have to see him um in, in some of those occasions but yeah, it just wasn't the the greatest for him. I don't think he was utilized the best by Steve Nash and the coaching staff either. I think that you know it's some of it's on Paul by not producing in the minutes that he was given, but I also don't think he was given, you know, the best opportunities to succeed with some of the lines that he's was used in. You know, I don't, you know, when you're playing him alongside, you know, Blake Griffin a, a lot of the time and, and and Nicholas Claxton, you know, he he looked good. You know when we're talking about preseason games alongside, you know, the Marcus Aldridge and and some of these sort of guys who could space out a little bit more. You know, his defense wasn't necessarily amazing. You know, I, I think that he was he showed like the his level of you know hands. He's quite, he's he's quite good as a handsy defender. You know, he gets some steals here and there. We got didn't get a lot of that, and, and some of that is just you know him being out due to you know personal reasons and such, so you can't necessarily build up the momentum, the consistency and the chemistry with your team and, and everything behind the scenes as well. So look, not the best situation, not the worst situation in the world. So hopefully Paul Millsap does find some success elsewhere and the Nets able to utilize that extra roster spot, maybe get something in return, maybe use him in a package with Bruce Brown or something to, to get something back, we'll, we'll wait and see. The trade-a-player exception the Nets got from DeAndre Jordan and Spencer Dimitri cannot be used with the player. Uh, but I think you've probably mentioned that a few times, Nick. So um, the Nets can't get Larry Nance Jr. back if they were to trade Paul Millsap to you know the Portland Trailblazers or whatever, or some sort of three-team deal. So just to keep an eye on that. And in terms of Kessler-Edwards... My one on the
1: Millsap thing, Jack, just with a trade, right. I think an ideal situation would be the Nets trade Millsap into somebody else's exception, not taking a player back and, you know, grabbing a second round pick. Obviously, his contract is extremely small, so there's not many deals you're looking at. Like you mentioned, you could combine players, but most likely if you're trading to somebody, it's somebody who's a playoff contender or, you know, somebody trying to make a move. They're not necessarily looking for multiple pieces because nobody really has that many open roster spots at this point in the year. So in my head, instantly, I thought, hopefully some, into somebody's trade exception, Nets get a second round pick because obviously that cupboard is very empty at the moment.
2: Yeah, and obviously they gave away a lot for the DeAndre Jordan deal, which worked out pretty well in, in my eyes in, in certain respects anyway. So, But in terms of the how it pertains to Kessler Edwards and his status with the team, I think that the Nets... Aren't going to go. Aren't going to rush down that route because while Kessel Edwards is a genuine NBA player and is more than a two-way player and has shown that, you know, in the short time that he's been given uh, in terms of uh, since he's produced as a Brooklyn Nets player, I think that you know they're going to go down a route where it's just let's get see what we can get in the buyout market. Let's see if we can find something in a trade, whether that's a Gary Harris who has been spoken about as as being a possible buyout candidate for, from Orlando and John Hollinger mentioned, you know, from the Athletic. I think that we're all sort of, you know, being like, okay, that's not the worst thing. Oh, Gary Harris is a decent enough three-point shooter. I think he's like 36. percent So I think that the Nets would prioritize that, and then as a backup, and then by the end of the one, by the end of the season, that option is still always going to be there.
1: Yeah, I would put Kessler Edwards getting an NBA contract at like by the Nets this season probably above 80%. I think at some point it's going to definitely happen because like you said, they want him in the postseason. I think he's that good in the sense of like, yeah, maybe he's not in the rotation. They get buyout guys, but he's good enough where he could be an option to throw at somebody because he plays defense at such a high level and has such a, not a unique skill set, but a skill set that is coveted, you know, across the league. Like you want a guy that can knock down threes and is a versatile defender. And like you mentioned, you know, I think, you know, worst case, they can't trade Javon Carter. They cut him and that's Kessler Edwards spot.
2: Yeah, so there's obviously always going to be that option. But Nick, I mentioned Gary Harris there. You shared it to me in the DMs and it got a little bit of, you know, traction on on Nets Twitter today. Obviously, you know, we've sort of... I think it was uh, our guy, Nolan Jensen, who we've had on the the pod a few times in the past. That was a big Gary Harris stand. You know, I've always been somewhat of a fan of his. Watched a little bit of him today uh, against the Lakers. He wasn't necessarily amazing, but maybe in a situation alongside of James Harden or whatever. You might get you know a, a decent three and D sort of proposition. Yes, he is you know six four ish, but he plays upper position. He's one of those guys that is just you know quite strong and can you know be better guards twos and threes, maybe not your fours or whatever. Some of your bigger guys, but I think is maybe a, an offensive upgrade over a, a Bruce Brown or a DeAndre Bembry in that sort of sense. Has some ball handling capabilities too. What would your thoughts be on the nets, you know and and trying to acquire Gary Harrison as a buyout sort of guy?
1: Yeah, I think obviously buyouts the only you know avenue here he's making twenty mil. so it's likely that you know, a buyout's going to happen because not many contenders are trading for him. They're not trading for that contract. They're not wanting to take that in. Orlando's probably not wanting to take a a future bad contract onto their book. so and it opens a roster space for space for them to try out a new young guy. And in terms of him being on the nets, I love it because I think, He's the level of player that you can anticipate getting on the buyout market. He's not, you know, probably a starter, but he's a really, you know, good piece of the rotation. And he provides two-way impact. He can score the ball offensively, like you said, 36% career three-point shooter or 35-something around that range. And then defensively, he's a guy that's going to compete. He's not a lockdown defender, but he's a good defender. And he does a lot of things that you want a good role player to do. And obviously, Orlando... Make it make of it of what you want, but being as, you know, a fifth option on the Nets and complimenting James Harden, Kyrie Irving, or uh, Kevin Durant, you're probably going to look a lot better. So I, I think, you know, Gary Harris would be a really good buyout target and a very good buyout signing for the Nets.
2: It's funny, Nick. I thought that his numbers would be below what his career numbers are, but looking at, you know, this season, 11.5 points, career 11.9. Rebounds don't necessarily matter, but 2.2 compared to 2.5 across his career assists 1.8 compared to 2.1 Three-point shooting 35.6 this year 35.8 for his career. You know, he's a good free-throw shooter as well, you know in the 80s So I think he'd be a a nice little add, you know, sort of, you know, see what he can do You know, I think that just acquiring him also means that other teams don't necessarily acquire him and you know, the, the process of that, you know, uh, another contender not, you know, pouncing on him and sort of, you know, whether The it's, Lakers um, could use um, like, him really bad. He's <laughs> literally you know, about to say the Los Angeles Lakers and, you know, him revitalizing himself there. Uh, so I think that the Nets would be wise to explore that as an option. Obviously, we'll wait and see how trades and everything else, uh, everything else does work itself out. But Gary Harris, you know, what he did in Denver as well, I think that... Where he he can provide the most value for the Nets, Nick, I think is as a a pure 3 and D guy. And I think that if that 3 is going to be better than what you, or at a serviceable enough level where it's just like, you know, you can kick that James Harden's driving and he kicks out the ball to Gary Harris and he hits 35% of those 3s. Those numbers do maintain. I think he's inconsistent and I think his 35% comes from nights where he goes four or six and then goes oh of six. You know, it's not necessarily the level of consistency that you would probably expect. But he's still good enough and I think that as a guy that you can have as your eighth guy in the rotation, you he's maybe a playoff performer, but you want to see a little bit from him so we'll see how it goes and and how it all does pan out with Sean Marks.
1: And like you said, I think At the very least, he provides you more offense than Bembry and Bruce Brown in terms of just the spacing on the floor. And we've seen a lot of the stars and players succeed with spacing. And I think that's something you really just have to look at. And, you know, his defense probably isn't as maybe good as those guys anymore. You know, there's an argument it could be close to that. Obviously, I I don't watch Orlando Magic every single night. But when he was in Denver, he had some really good defensive, you know, sequences and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. And, like, again, you know, I don't know what Nets fans are anticipating at the deadline unless the Nets want to move on from a lot of the rookies and possibly some other, you know, contracts on this team. It's going to be hard to get major upgrades. Like Gary Harris is a guy, especially in the buyout market, that I feel pretty good about them acquiring. It's it's rare you see a player in his prime like that be bought out. No, definitely.
2: You know, he's remember, let me take He's only I mean, age 27, so yeah. there's... That's something that's worth taking a flyer on as well because if you what get a decent... A of time,
1: to- he was the main trade piece and like a Paul George trade and yeah. that didn't obviously happen. So he's had a lot of injuries and, he, you know, he does have trouble staying on the floor sometimes, but there is talent.
2: There's definitely talent, Nick. So it's it's certainly worth the flyer. But um, I've got a few other little topics, little tidbits there that we might want to touch on. I think the most important one is... I saw uh, Keith McPherson, who's been doing some awesome work in, in the New York media and of Talking Nets. Uh, he put out the quote from James Harden post game. He's like, once KD and Joe get back after the All-Star break, uh, he thinks that James Harden might have inadvertently let slip that we don't see Joe Harris until after the All-Star game. We did see him there tonight. You know, people in the DMs are, are updating me about his haircut. I like the short hair. He's looking good. I was a big fan of the Timmy, Timothy Chalamet locks that he did have, the Josh Giddey style. But he's always looking good, Joey Buckets. But does that? Do you think that we do? We see uh, Joe Harris before the All Star break, Nick. We obviously heard about you know complications in terms of his rehab. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is there a need to rush him back, or is it just you know play it safely? Uh, play the cautious route like the Nets generally decide to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could also be, you know, uh, James hard just alluding to having them both on the floor, you know, seeing the full team together. So I wouldn't write this in stone that we won't see Joe Harrison to then. Is it a possibility? For sure. The Nets are super cautious. We know Joe's had a setback, but we did get from Steve Nash that he was doing some on-the-court stuff. So. You know, part of me still thinks maybe we see him maybe a game or two before the all-star break and then he has that nice little you know week to ease himself back in afterwards. But you know, it wouldn't be surprising me at all if the Nets are cautious of' the injury. We've seen that happen
2: literally a million times. Are you more concerned over Joe Harris's ankle or Nicholas Claxton's hamstring? Uh,
1: I would probably say Nicholas Claxton's hamstring because hamstrings tend to linger. You know, Joe Harris did have surgery. They're obviously rehabbing him. He doesn't necessarily need to be an elite athlete to be super successful on the floor where Clax's best ability is his athleticism, like his ability to switch and especially offensively be a vertical threat. If that hamstring isn't right, you lose that explosive pop. And like we saw with James Harden last year, hamstring soreness, miss a couple games, come back, play a couple games, out, play some more games, out. So, you know, it's hamstrings are rough, especially for any type of explosive sport. And obviously, Klaxon's an explosive athlete.
2: Yeah, the best ability is availability Nicholas yeah. Claxton hasn't unfortunately hadn't had that luck across his young career. There's a part of me that was thinking, you know, because as I added this to the to the doc that this could maybe trying to look at a glass half full, be a blessing in the size, and the, and because Clax has shown so much promise as a defensive force, you know, but hasn't been available, you know, for consistent periods, it ends up being a Robert Williams style situation where the Nets get him on a bargain basement deal that might be you know, not even, you know, twelve million or forty million dollars that somewhere he could sort of range. Maybe the Nets get him on something like eight to ten or something around that range. Uh, because, you know, you can only judge by and the, the, the risk reward ratio. If the Nets are gonna give him some cash, well we wanted him to for you to be out there, clucks. But at the same time when he is out there, he makes a, a a pronounced impact when he is fully healthy. So I agree, muscle injuries are always something to keep an eye on and James Harden has said that, you know, it's probably affected his conditioning and some of his health and him getting his body right, all those different things. And, and always has issues plenty as well. You know, he's a guy that's skinny. He's had to eat. He's had illnesses and all these other different things to deal with, shoulder injuries. So uh, it just sucks because hopefully if Clax City, and, and this could all be a discussion that is just, you know, put to the wayside when he dominates. He could play on Sunday. <laughs> And, and yeah when we got a, a special guest he'll be jumping on on sunday which i'm looking forward to as well but clack city dominates you know carl anthony towns and all is put to bed but you know we have to discuss it now And i think we might touch on some other topics with our, our guest on, on on sunday as well nick because i think he'll provide a little bit of pop a little bit of takes on some of the the merch news that we did see so i'm intrigued to have a, a bit of a chat about that going forward because uh, i'm losing my voice a little bit here mate i need to get some more tea. I think I might even need to take a nap because uh, jet lag is killing me. Uh, but I can talk about the nest for another hour or two with you. It's been great to get back on the mic with you, my guy.
1: Yeah, a little podcast conditioning for you, Jack. You know, not not quite in rhythm and shape yet, but you know, obviously, still a great show. Um, always a pleasure having you on and you know having you back in the buzz because i know a lot of people missed you you know some of my negativity was not liked and they need some of that optimistic and positive energy from jack so it's always good to have you on the buzz and bring that and kind of balance us out the ying to my yang but big thanks to everybody for listening check the buzz on all streaming platforms